Hello, we're back. Christopher here. It's been a momentous few months. Things are moving forward slowly but surely. We're going to continue to put out episodes at a slower rate until things get safer. We appreciate your understanding. I'm looking forward to sharing this special double-length episode with you. If you're one of our Patreon supporters, you've had access to this for a while now. If you aren't yet a supporter, not only do you get an early listen to our new episodes, but we also have a few exclusive extras, like a chat with this episode's special guest star, Sarah Ray Werner. It's a fun conversation where we talk about this episode, Girl in Space, and other stuff. You can become a supporter by subscribing at patreon.com exoplanetary. We appreciate it and look forward to bringing you more interesting stuff down the line. With that, it's off to our new episode. Exoplanetary, the adventures of the space-faring Wolverton family and their friends far in the future. Tonight's episode, Counter Gambits. The first time I saw Ishmael, he was walking toward my editor's office at the Lunar Times. He sipped Turkish coffee from a ceramic container. The aroma perfumed the city room as he passed my desk. This cup kept the brew a perfect temperature, engineered that way. The first thing I knew about him, other than his taste in coffee, was that he was former exoplanetary security. I could tell from the cut of his civilian clothes, blacks and grays. Physically, everything about him seemed precise, from his haircut to his walk. That's from training. Even after they leave, they never lose the look. Each step, he glanced at a different person in the office, as if we all might rise from our copy and attack him en masse. Ishmael's calm gaze took each of us down like a blade through weeds. The training never goes away. I took a deep breath, adjusted my asana, and composed my article, visualizing it in my mind's eye, sentence by sentence. I entered the Arha Chandrasana pose, Standing on one leg, one arm in the air as the other reached for the ground. Ray called me into his office. You rang? Nancy, I want you to meet Ishmael Yacoub. Close blinds. Private investigator. I handle private security, too. Former exo-security, though, right? 
No answer usually means yes. You already saw the chatter. Oh, you mean the assassination on Enceladus? One attack per month? Uh, last month was Mars Tech, month before that was Oberon Holdings. I figured that Shohin would be next, and after that... I've been keeping tabs, too. I read your work. Thanks. A month is a long time. You'd think exosecurity would be on top of things. You'd think. This is your story, Nancy. Find the terrorists. Full expense package. Security. Now get the story. Hold on. Two things. I've been bugging you about this story for months, and you're finally throwing money at it? What do you mean? Now that it's Exo's turn in the round robin, they suddenly remember that they own a newspaper and they're- Don't question this paper's integrity. Exo is leaning on you, aren't they? Look, Nancy, did I mention that our best investigator was champing at the bit to do a story on the terrorists? Yes. Did they suddenly increase the budget? Yes. Is the Lunar Times taking advantage of its corporate paymasters? Always. There's nothing wrong with getting paid. Incidentally, where do I send my voucher? Fine, I'll bite. But I don't need Kevin Costner over here. I'll get pegged if an exocop is tagging along. Uh, former exocop. What's a Kevin Costner? 20th century film actor. Uh, don't mind her. This is how she acts snotty. Oh, I'm not being snotty. I just need to travel light. Mr. Yukub, I'm sure you're great, but I don't need security. Thanks. I'm sure you don't know what you're getting into. Aside from your yoga, you know any martial arts? Weapons certifications? I took one Krav Maga class five years ago. It wasn't for me. This is why I hired Mr. Yakub, Nancy. This is bigger than anything you've done before. Come on, Ray. I can handle danger. You know my work. I found the embezzlement ring on Titan. I was the one who put the pieces together for that process killer on Callisto. I get that this is a dangerous assignment. I'm not being difficult. Then why don't you just say thank you and move along? We've hired him because these terrorists aren't just killing toffs, you know. Plenty of ordinary working stiffs like you and me dying too. You're no good to anyone if at the end of this you can't file your story. Listen, maybe it would help you not to think of me as a bodyguard, but as a second investigator. An extra pair of eyes. Hmm. Ishmael Yakub, age 35, father Rafik, mother Faisa, owners and operators of Yakub's Diner, the family business and the only place you can get Turkish-style coffee in the Sea of Tranquility District. How the hell did you find all that? It's easy when you're the best. I know a thing or two myself. You tell people you're 32, but you're actually 36. You were born on Ganymede, but you got out of there five years ago. In your early curriculum, they told you you were best suited to be a copywriter, but you had your heart set on being a reporter after watching a 20th century film titled All the President's Men. You live three blocks from Armstrong Park with your grandmother and four... Enough. No, not in front of Ray. Not in front of Ray? You live with your grandmother and four what? Ferrets. I have four ferrets. John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Ferrets? 
Looks like you're coming along, Mr. Yakub. Okay, finish it. For what? Finish what? Your dossier on me. I can't let anyone here know too much about my home life. How did you know about my four... Ferrets. Ferrets. Right. Two biological, two adopted. I've been very careful about who I let know about my... my family. I understand. I respect that. All the more reason for you to come home to them safe and sound. All right. Let's get out of here. I'm parked on the roof. I didn't mind Ray looking out for me, but I've never liked Exo Cops, retired or no. Exo Security has been on my list since they carried me out of my apartment and dumped me in an employment center for missing one rent payment. Pulling information on a former Exo Security officer is easy if you're the best, but it also helps if you've got the right tech. When I started writing, I wanted to be romantic. So, I bought an antique laptop computer. It looked like a prop from a Julia Roberts movie, and it ran on something called Windows 95. It was also slower than walking to Pluto. So, I gave in and used a holographic keyboard. Then, as my career progressed, I got a sort of headband that let me compose documents in my frontal lobes. It gave me a headache at first, but practice makes perfect. Now, I have a full suite of cybernetic implants discreetly hidden in my neck, forearms, and left eye. Nobody can tell, but my hairdresser can sometimes spot my manual access port. The enhancements allow me to write, record audio, shoot video, scan for heat signatures, examine at telescopic distances or in microscopic detail, research public and private records, holographic communication, and more. In other words, if it's information, I can collect it and report it as easily as saying hello. How are those quarters for you? Plenty of room to stretch out. I feel I ought to apologize for earlier. Shouldn't I apologize? There was a better way to handle that. For both of us. But I don't want you thinking of me as dead weight. I am interested in how you did that, though. I thought you were doing yoga out there. But there's something in your head that lets you research and write a story even when you're talking to me. It's very sophisticated. Cybernetics? The tech is just a tool. Beats sitting at a desk. Years of experience is my real secret sauce. How did you find out about me? You can probably guess, personal records aren't that secure, whether you have cybernetics or not. When I took the job, I looked at your records, same as you looked at mine. So, we're both clear on who's standing next to us, alright? Yeah, I suppose we are. Those same skills helped me obtain these exosecurity files. Nice. Do you know the word chaturanga? yoga pose. The low plank? Yes. The word literally means four limbs. 
It's also the name of an ancient Indian game believed to be a precursor to chess. They infer the meaning due to the number of chess illusions and the few communications they've intercepted. Chaturanga uses chess notation codes. It also informs their strategies. Exo believes that there are only ever four field members at any given time. The four limbs in the name, Rook, Knight, Bishop, and Queen. The implication is that there's a king somewhere masterminding everything. What about the pawns? The pawns are integral to Chaturanga's modus operandi. The four limbs are working against the opponent's king, presumably the target they've selected. They capture a pawn, usually someone close to the target, and they either manipulate them into killing the target, use them for access, or even impersonate them. Even that gets fuzzy. Only one member was ever identified post-mortem. What did they find out about the deceased? Ryosuke Hiromi, age 56, was once a biological engineer. He resigned subtly and joined the clergy as a monk. As many in the clergy do, he sort of falls off the map for a few years until he starts acting as a spiritual advisor to Akimi Ohora, mother to Takara, the fiancé to Yasuo Ito, Shohin's heir apparent, head of research and development. Hiromi ingratiated himself to the staff and managed to poison the meal at the rehearsal dinner. The entire wedding party was killed. Hiromi too? He conducted the ceremony, a sacrificed piece. They found a notebook in his robes filled with chess notation. The moves described didn't form a game, so it's likely a code. And they found this on Hiromi's right pectoral. Hmm. A tattoo. The white bishop. Now, I don't know what Exo Security is doing with all of this information, but it seems to me that Chaturanga wanted Hiromi to be found. An opening gambit, letting everyone know what kind of game they're playing. So, we're heading to Enceladus? Enceladus is a cold trail. Cold for you, maybe. I'm sure we could find out a great deal if we studied that wedding massacre. But the real story, in my opinion, is in finding Chaturanga itself between attacks. I mean, you're in it for the story. Chaturanga is the story. And one place they aren't going to be is where they just showed themselves. Where would you start if you wanted to find them? The pattern so far has been targeting younger executives with family ties to the president, CEO, or chairman. Yasuo Ito for Shohin, Edward Church for Oberon Holdings, and Maritza Calderon for Mars Tech. Hmm. The Mars Tech assassination was a a laser sniper, and the death on Oberon was a bombing. So whatever's next, they aren't going to try the same thing they did before. Is there any sort of lead? Process of elimination. They only seem active beyond the asteroid belt. If someone was going to strike at Exoplanetary, they wouldn't target the lunar city, but the Galilean moons. That makes sense, but Exo is everywhere on the Jovian moons. Why the Galileans? 
most don't know this, but the Galileans are where the Exobras keep their homes and families. If something were to happen, it's the most likely area. Chaturanga moves their pieces into the opponent's home turf. That's amazing. Where should we start? Your old stomping grounds? Ganymede. Ugh, Ganymede. On Ganymede, the waste from the city oozes from pipes down the walls and to the surface below. Centuries of this pollution have caused every viewport to take on a greenish hue. You only escape it if you can live high in a tower, and even there, I am sure it smells just as moldy. I grew up here. This is the moon where people who can't make it elsewhere wash ashore, and where they, in turn, serve the richest of the rich. I worked hard to make a new life in the Lunar City. I never wanted to see this place again. In my dreams, I strode along a busy walkway, the night filled with slow-moving pedestrians heading home. I waved my hand over the pad to open the door and again by the lift. The doors opened to reveal a seven-foot-tall chess piece looming over me, the White King. I startled awake. I could tell them my cybernetics recorded my nightmare, and I deleted it, unwatched. I assumed the lotus position and slowed my breathing and began to study the dossier Ishmael had swiped from exosecurity. I read the Chaturanga propaganda. It extolled the violent execution of every wealthy executive, proclaiming the virtues of democracy and socialism, claiming that a war, actual armed conflict, was coming between the corporations. It was frightening. Who writes something like this? Beg pardon? Who writes propaganda like this? Violent revolution and then talking about people working together for a common good? Voting? I imagine most people need to look that word up. What do you think? Who wrote it? Well, it's gotta be the White King, right? I would think so. The White King is educated. Probably someone who has a spotty employment history. He talks about the employment centers like he's been in one. You've been to one? What's that, uh, what's that like? (laughs) It's hell. I spent a month there and never want to go back. WK's been there too, I bet. Only he wants revenge. Because of humiliation. Perhaps, or maybe that time in there cost him something or hurt someone he loved. Ganymede is where they take you. That's why we're here. He couldn't still be in an employment center. He'd need resources. Money. You'd need a bundle of credits to operate Chaturanga. Not necessarily. White King has four agents underneath him. In chess, the king only moves when he's in danger. Huh. Democracy, socialism, violent revolution. How does he see this working, really? Blood blood and more blood. He doesn't give a damn if it works. Maybe. 
killing to make a point? Or just for the sheer hell of it? Desperate people do crazy things, Nancy. In my room, I took myself down to a chaturanga plank, resting on my toes and forearms. I closed my eyes and took a deep breath. I exhaled. In moments, I let the microprocessors under my skin disassemble and reassemble the ranting chaturanga essays. I was attempting a variation on a 21st century investigative technique, identifying an unknown author from their quirks of language. A writing style can be like a thumbprint. Ray can tell my copy from any other reporter on the payroll because he's read volumes of all our work. He knows my go-to adjectives and my tiny habitual mistakes. Despite my tech, I still occasionally misuse punctuation. And Ray sees it first. Ray knows. So, there's an algorithm. There's the solar system's entire library of published material, private documents, and corporate ephemera. Novels, articles, screenplays, fanzines, essays, you name it, I've got it passing through my head. Whittle it down to the last 50 years, no need for Shakespeare, no need for the Greeks or Danielle Steele, I take a deep breath, and I exhale, and it's done. The result? A short list of writers with the White King's flair for angry rhetoric and violent metaphors. Two of them don't seem to write in English, put them at the bottom of the list for now. That leaves five. Are any of them on Ganymede? Before I answer that, how sure are you that Chaturanga is already on Ganymede? There's a month to go. The family has other homes, like that castle they're carving out of an asteroid. Educated guess. This is where the largest employment centers are located. A third of the people on Ganymede were shipped here because they couldn't find or maintain work. Crime is bad here because Exo doesn't take care of anyone but the Toffs. Then he is here. His name is Samson Chambers Harnell, living in Employment Center 2368. That's almost too good. There are others, but Harnell fits the profile to a T. But that's not enough for you? It's enough for me to investigate further. It's enough to dig deeper. What's with the face, then? The more I run this guy's words through my head, the more I think he's not entirely wrong. I think about my kids and the world they're growing up into. Yeah, the ferrets. <laughs> I think about that. I have a daughter. Her name is Gondola. That's lovely. My kids changed everything. When it was just me, I, I was fine with plugging away and making things work. It it's fine when you're just looking out for yourself, but once you have that person you're responsible for, you start thinking about how you can make things better for them. I'm still plugging away, but now I'm trying to afford classes and 
better food and... You'll do anything for them. You'll take jobs you never thought you could in order to keep them in clothes and hot dinners. I know the feeling. Oh, do I know the feeling. Where's the line? On the one hand, you have your needs. On the other, what the world demands from you. In our world, we have certain social agreements that our work is equivalent to units of exchange, money. We use that money to pay for goods and services, but when the same company that pays you is the one that owns your home and collects the rent, sells you your food and interacts with you every single moment of the day, what do you call that? And then I turn to what Chaturanga says. Humans were never intended to serve other humans so asymmetrically. This was a perversion of society, corrupt from its origin, and created by humans who determined that they no longer wanted to work. They appealed to our worst nature through luxuries like personal possessions, wealth, and, maddest of all, real estate. This idea of ownership and possession eventually extended to human beings. Our history, up until the day our ancestors left Earth, was filled with stories of slavery and the, the revolutions they inspired. Then the oligarchy came up with a new idea. They forged an illusion of freedom, but they enslaved us through arbitrary imprisonment, crushing death, and perhaps, most insidious of all, the promise of a better life, if only we worked harder. And then it goes into a paragraph about murdering a bunch of rich people. What does that do to your head, though? I read that and I think to myself about how my daughter and I were dragged out of our home, one late payment, and stuck in a fenced-off area with other unemployed people, forced to sit there and beg recruiters and passers-by for work, fed flavorless nutrient gruel until one day I got hired. It was only a month, but it felt like a whole year. I don't think my daughter ever really recovered. A good portion of the Chaturanga screeds promote the violent, humiliating deaths of our employers. They use words like oligarch and monopoly that I had to literally go look up in a special unabridged dictionary that lives in the Times Digital Morgue. As if the words were being erased from our language. Odd. The White King says that once workers control the means of production, our lives can become simpler, that we can look after one another. That sounds wonderful, but reading this, it feels like an afterthought. This was how I found Samson Harnell, the frequency of the phrase bloodbath. He's really fond of it. Bathe in the blood of our oppressors is another variation. I sit here and wonder if violence is the only way to change the world. From my lotus position, I smell the coffee Ishmael is brewing and wonder what would happen if everyone just stopped working. What if we all opted out? I ask Ishmael this over breakfast. If everybody stopped working, they'd just put them all in an employment center. Security would stop working too. Security doesn't stop working. They don't stop, period. They just keep going? So, I'm gonna ask the question. 
I wish you would in that meeting. How long were you in EXO security? Not long. Long enough to get the training, make connections, and move on. Why do it at all? Why did I become security? Why do any of us take the jobs we take? They test us and measure us when we're young. They lay out what they think we're good at, what they want you to do. My scores told them that I would excel at security. Wasn't my idea. Nobody really has a high opinion of security, least of all me as a teenager. But something in the back of my head said, what if you could make it better? What if you could make it something worthwhile? Do you think you made a difference? Hell no. You find out pretty quickly that there's nothing to the job. You protect rich people's property and you keep poor people in their place. I got to be an investigator because I took classes and had the intelligence to build those chops. But that also makes me smart enough to realize I should have stayed at my parents' diner. So you stopped working? For Exo Security, yes. I'm a private contractor now. What's the difference? I didn't want to be a cop. They call it security, but whatever, you're still police. My family, people like us don't have the best history with police. My family... They weren't thrilled? Oh, they were not. But I had the young man's arrogance that he could fix the world. What can I tell you other than I was wrong? Security's not a noble job, neither is being a private investigator. Really, I'm not helping anyone except the people who pay me. Even this running around looking for terrorists, it doesn't solve any of life's big problems. Not for me, not for the folks I interact with, not for anyone. Certainly not for the young man who thought he was fixing the world. So why do you do it then? Independent contracting? Because I get to decide who and what gets the benefits of my skills. I'm not the one putting poor people in cages anymore. When you were with Exo Security, how many people would you put in an employment center in a week? When I was a grunt, maybe 10 in a week. If they can't pay, they go away. It's in the user agreement. Nobody reads the user agreement. 10 in a week. Wow. And it's never pleasant. It's not, no. That's why Exo Security pays so well. That's what I keep coming back to. Chaturanga resists, but it's just violence for its own sake to the worst parts of human nature. They're no better than the people they're against. What's your point? If they just advised us to stop working and demand to be treated better, I might even get behind them. You don't mean that. I do. I can see an exo-security agent dragging 10 people a week to employment centers, but what about 100? What about 1,000? Did you know anyone who could live with doing that? Who could cope with all of that misery? A few, yeah. Quite a few, actually. None of us know what we're capable of until we're pushed to our limits. Perhaps not. For my part, I'm glad I never found out. 
I got out of there with most of my soul still intact. Let's get down to the employment center. The employment centers of Ganymede were just as I left them. Nasty, brutish, and cramped. People, often with no more clothing than what they arrived wearing, huddling around semi-functional heaters, doing their best to keep themselves fed and groomed, and chatting with recruiters through the chain-link fence. Ishmael used his connections to put me on the wrong side of the gate three hours before, and I was already wanting to leave. I counted 30 people behind the fence, adults and children. My daughter and I, we never spoke about what happened during our incarceration. I'll never forgive myself for putting her into that position, and so young. Every moment since then, I've worked to make sure that my children never have to want for anything. Certainly nothing necessary. I see a couple dozen people who look ready to commit to the same. But is one of them a violent revolutionary? In this investigation, I've been forced to ask myself if violence is ever the answer. Standing in this grimy junkyard, this collection of shelters built from old pipes and stained fabric, I wasn't sure how I felt at all. That's Samson Harnell? <laughs> what were you expecting? A machete-wielding giant in a hockey mask? I didn't have any expectations. I haven't seen him go to the fence at all. He's just sitting by the flap of his tent and... Well, he's not really doing anything. Just sitting. So, not even trying to appear normal. If he doesn't go to the fence, he can't get hired. If he doesn't get hired... He can't pay off the debt he's building parked here. There must be a plan. Maybe. Talk to him at all? Not yet. I'm trying to figure out what's in the tent. It's larger than the others. It's like there's a light in there or something, and... <gasps> Holy crap! Is that a kid? Yes, exploding out from the shelter, blowing past Harnell was a boy of no more than eight years old. He dashed over to the rations, grabbed two nutrition packs and two water packs, and ran back to Harnell. The older man smiled. Harnell and the boy sat across from each other on the grimy floor to eat their simple meal. The nutrient packs and the water packs are tricky. The packaging is edible, made from a sort of engineered seaweed paste, it's not terribly appetizing, but the rations keep you from starving or dying of thirst. The trick for the water was to put the bubble into your mouth and let the film dissolve. For food, it was better consumed while hot, which meant chewing the film. Many felt that this made the gruel inside taste even worse. People who were anticipating being carted off to an employment center often keep condiment packets in their pockets, Anything to fix the taste. The Harnell family solution was different. 
Samson Harnell produced a bottle of hot pepper sauce, a few shakes on the blob of gruel, and they popped it into their mouths. I wish I'd thought of that, I said. And once I did, the boy's eyes quickly met mine, wild like a startled animal, and he darted back inside the tent. Samson wiped his mouth and stood up, reaching out his hand and smiling gently. Pardon my boy. He's not very civil, is he? Name Samson. How do you do? Nancy, I, I hope I didn't frighten him too much. I just wanted to say hello. This environment doesn't do much to encourage polite and neighborly conduct. But in time, that won't matter. When you get out, you mean get him back into education, back to the grind? Not really. I'm what you call independent of all that. Oh. How can you be independent? Please, tell me. I sometimes feel like I'm going to die at my desk. I'm a writer. Oh, really? I'm a journalist. I mean, I was a journalist, but I'm sure I'll find something. Or maybe I'll go independent like you? Not everyone has what it takes. I am fascinated by this. How do you stay independent? I don't leave the employment center. Oh, you're joking. No foolin'. It's a very simple life, but it's truly rewarding. But what about when you run out of hot sauce? You, you can't just go buy more. We salvage. People leave this place in a hurry every day. We find hot sauce, better clothing, you name it. Don't get me wrong, I admire simplicity, but that might be a little too simple for me. I can't wait to get out of here. Not everyone has what it takes. But your son, he's just a boy. Don't, don't you want to... My boy is none of your business. I'll thank you to step away, please. I want to get a look in that tent. We should be discreet. I don't know. Samson's guarding it like a cartoon bulldog. I can slip you a device. It links to your cybernetic implants. Let's you look inside the tent, but you need to be close, practically next to it. Ishmael, I don't, I don't really think he's going to let me get close. You should have seen his eyes, like a dark room full of ghosts. I need to find a way to get close without being close to him. I just want to look inside, Nancy. That's all we need. Once we have that, we can think about our next step. No, I understand. I, I've been trying to impress you all this time, and here I am, getting queasy over some guy's eyes. You're doing fine, Nancy. You're doing fine. Fear is just your body's way of protecting you. Warning you. Listen to it, but don't let it capture you. Ishmael, wearing the mask that they give employment center guards, met me at the fence. We pantomimed the sort of spot searches the guards performed regularly, and he slipped the device into my pocket. In my mind's eye, I could see the device remotely connect itself to my hardware. 10%? 15 
I inched over to Samson's tent. I slowed my breathing, focusing on the back of the tent. The lights above me dimmed to begin the center's artificial night. 20%. 30 I saw what Ishmael was referring to, some sort of light that seemed to be coming from inside the tent. 60%. 75 But the interface stopped there. I tried to discreetly take the device out of my pocket, but when I did, it burned my hand. Ow! Overheated. Damn it. I wanted to get out of here tonight. Ishmael, the device. I saw. Let's try something else. What? I'll get Samson away from the tent. While I do that, you look inside. That doesn't sound like a good idea. If we want to look in that tent, it sounds like the only option left. There's something else we can do. What's that? Those guards we bribed to let me in here and lend you the uniform, uh, we could pay them more credits, get them to interrogate him while we record it. Do you really think that will work? It's called brainstorming. There's no wrong answers. That one comes pretty close. If we made something like that happen, we'd be letting the oligarchy flex its fascist muscles to meet our ends. And that means Chaturanga's right about everything. It's better if we do it my way. Keep security out of it. They'll just cause trouble. Hopefully I can distract him just fine on my own. Excuse me, sir. I need you to step over here with me. What seems to be the problem? Just need you to step over here with me, Mr. Harnell. How do you know my name? Records, Mr. Harnell. Oh, bull. You guards never bother to read them. Not unless someone's dead. All the more reason to come with me, Mr. Harnell. Nothing doing. This patch of the employment center is my sovereign territory. Okay, I guess we're in fantasy land. I just need to speak for a moment. Get your hands off me. Samson grabbed Ishmael by the neck and headbutted him. Ishmael staggered for a moment, but immediately found his balance and grabbed his attacker by the forearm. With one short, sharp jerk of his elbow, he threw Samson to the ground. I inched toward the tent, never taking my eye off that fight. It seemed improbable, but... As well-trained as Ishmael had been, Samson seemed to be holding his own. I wanted to go help protect my new friend. Ishmael noticed my hesitation and waved me toward the tent. And in his moment of distraction, Samson knocked him over. Oops. I turned to the entrance of the tent. A dim light peeked out from behind the flap. I reached out and pulled it open. The floor was covered with a simple mat. On that mat was the boy resting on his chin and forearms, his back arched and his feet resting over his brown hair like a crown. This was Sirsa Padasana, the headstand with scorpion legs. His eyes flew open, the same dark, haunted house eyes as his father staring into mine. I waved my hands to shush him, but he didn't make a peep. He pushed himself upright and pulled something out of his pocket. In my panic, I I thought it might be a knife or a laser. It was worse. It was a tiny chess piece. The White King.
He grasped the chess piece in his fist and slammed it into the ground. In seconds, the tent filled with billowing gas, flowing out into the employment center. I collapsed, gasping. The boy stepped on me as he ran. Was he wearing a gas mask? I don't know. I wasn't. I coughed with a violence I'd never known. Pain rolled through my entire body, every nerve ending, reacting to the poison in my lungs. I passed out. My next memory was waking up in a hospital. Ishmael was there. Hey there. I see you're awake. You don't have to speak. I know you can't right now. I need you to hear this from me. What happened to you was my fault. With no gas mask for you, I should have looked in the tent. I should have known better, even in the moment. I failed you. What I remember was the pain in his voice. What they're doing here is being paid for by the Lunar Times. But you need to know, they aren't going to keep you here forever. They're going to get you to a point where you can work, and then they're going to release you whether you can walk again or not. I had been so full of drugs that I hadn't even thought of how soon I might be going home. Once that happens, your life is going to be very different, Nancy. But just because Exo is going to leave you high and dry, that doesn't mean I am. He turned and left. I wasn't sure what he meant. In time, I was well enough to read a dossier Ishmael sent me. In the confusion of the gas attack, I wasn't the only one affected. Out of the way! Of the 30 people living in the employment center, I was the only one who lived. The tiny chest piece poisoned the entire center with a type of nerve gas. The center was cleaned and put back into operation in two weeks. Samson Harnell was dead. No trace of the boy. The king only moves when threatened. Hello. I'm a friend of your mother's. She's invited me to stop by. May I come in? Thank you. She told me she had kids, but you all look nearly grown. You must be Alice, the oldest. Pleased to meet you. You're Ben. That's a firm handshake. Coward, what are you working on there? You're the inventor, right? And Dustin's on the couch with the book. <laughs> I got you all right on the first try. I know you're accustomed to having your mom and your great-grandma and that you all know how to take care of each other. 
that's what family's all about, taking care of each other. I want you to meet my daughter, Condola. Come over here, sweetheart. Now, you don't know us, but I'd like us all to get to know one another. I'd like us to be friends and help each other out. You've got no reason to trust me, but I want to earn that trust. That'll take time, I know. But the truth is, we're neighbors. My family's diner is just a few blocks away. Not exactly close by, but close enough to be neighborly. Now, we brought some dinner. Who's hungry? I hear them talking and laughing in the other room. In time, Ishmael stands in the doorway and I raise my hand. I am too weak to do much more. I picture the words and the speaker says, You came. Of course I came. I keep my word. Thank you. You just get yourself feeling better. You have a long road. What did the kids think? They're scared, Nancy. Hell, I'm scared too. But we can get through this. You remember reading that chaturanga trash, letting what it said seep into your head. Don't remind me. This is how we make life better, Nancy. Not with violence. Not with employment centers. We do it by stepping up and looking after each other. Our assumptions about the White King were that he was a man who'd been abused by a cruel system that shaped him into a terrorist. Not even our warped brainstorming could picture the White King as a prodigious and wicked child. Samson C. Harnell Jr., we assume that's the White King's name, tested in the 99th percentile in his education league. I'm not certain the man I met, the one who died, was his real father. Maybe he was just another pawn. They simply stopped working, stopped paying. In time, they were incarcerated in the employment center. But why? That's what I don't understand. To attract us? To let us know he was prepared for anything? What made that boy that way? Had he been adopted from the employment center as I'd adopted some of my own children? Had he been hurt by this system, corrupted by the evil done to him? Days later, the president of Exoplanetary disappeared under mysterious circumstances. More questions, but no answers. I needed to find the story. Bedridden with nothing to do, I became obsessed, following every lead, reading every report, scouring the world of records for any possible mention of the White King, the boy who killed dozens, left me for dead, and then sauntered into the crowd like a fiendish artful dodger. Of course, the thought comes to me 20 times a day that I would learn more if I could just leave my bed. But I am years away from this. 
I can't bend even a single finger without excruciating pain. My nanogenes are working overtime to keep me from dying from microscopic remnants of the neurotoxin in my bloodstream. My internal organs are a mess. I may never be done healing. I'll never be done paying for this treatment. I will need to work to maintain my insurance. I need to do this, even though I cannot speak, cannot move, and I cannot leave my darkened bedroom. The doctors say that, thanks to my cybernetics, I needn't miss a single deadline. I can see the world from my bed with drones, interview people via the network, research with access to digital libraries. I'm constantly in pain and exhausted, but I'm not going to let my condition stop my work. This is me contributing. This is me stepping up and looking after the people in my life. This is me making the best of a bad situation. This is me fighting. This is me providing for my family. My byline is Nancy Wolverton. I am the jewel of the lotus. 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 You have been listening to Exoplanetary Counter Gambits, written by C. Christopher Hart, performed by Sarah Ray Werner as Nancy Wolverton, Kenneth Dimbo as Ishmael Yacoub, Todd Tulsis as Samson Harnell, Bruce Miles as Ray, produced by C. Christopher Hart, music provided by Jacob Jansen, sound effects by Danger Marshall, script consultation by Jordan Cobb. This play, the characters, situations, and associated intellectual property, copyright 2019 to 2020, by C. Christopher Hart, all rights reserved. Recorded remotely and at the Willamette Radio Workshop in sunny Portland, Oregon. I hope you enjoyed that look into the Wolverton family's recent past. We'd love to hear what you think. Follow us on Facebook, on Twitter at ExoplanetaryPod, or if you like a long email, send questions and comments to us at exoplanetarymail at gmail.com. We'll be seeing you in the near future.